Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3, and this morning we shall be reading from verse 7 all the way through to chapter 4, verse 13. I shan't be preaching on this entire passage, I shall be focusing in my sermon on verses 7 to 19 of chapter 3, but this is one coherent unit, and I, I think it will be helpful for us over the next two or three weeks or at least when we get into the new year, because I'll probably be doing sort of incarnation-related sermons the next couple of weeks. Um, I think it will be helpful for us to read the entire section, however many times I I preach a particular part of it, just so that it really gets into our hearts. It's a uh, a long, um, what we call hortatory section. It's it's full of imperative, full of exhortation. It comes off the back of... um, what has been largely exposition up until this point. The preacher, the writer to the Hebrews has been expounding the glory and the greatness of Jesus Christ. And he's already had a short section of exhortation right at the start of chapter 2. But here we see him uh, really expand upon what he was saying uh, back in the first four verses of chapter 2. So let us hear the word of the Lord. Hebrews Chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, 
they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Today, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. We don't gather on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening simply to hear what God once said to people long ago. Interesting though that might be, no. We gather Sunday by Sunday, Lord's Day by Lord's Day to hear God speaking to us by his spirit and through his word. Today, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you need to listen. And what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? He's saying this, as we read right at the start of our passage, the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you through this passage this morning. Do not harden your hearts. And he is saying this to you because you face the constant, the daily threat of your heart becoming hard. If there was no danger of your heart becoming hard, God would not warn you about this reality. But there is the constant daily danger of you developing, contracting the disease of a hard heart. The disease of what we might call spiritual sclerosis. You've heard of multiple sclerosis, haven't you? Terrible disease that makes, in the worst cases, people unresponsive. Well, I can tell you that the disease of spiritual sclerosis is far far, far more serious, even than multiple sclerosis. Because the disease of spiritual sclerosis makes your heart hard and unresponsive to the living God, so that you become dead to him. 
And this is a threat. This is a danger that you face every day. And so you need to hear and you need to take to heart what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning. You need to listen to his voice as he tells you three ways that you can prevent yourself catching this deadly disease of a hard heart. And these three antidotes are as follows. How do you prevent developing a hard heart? Well, first of all, you heed the warning of history, verses 7 to 11. Secondly, you exhort one another, verses 12 to 15. And then thirdly, you do not presume on God's grace, verses 16 to 19. Heed the warning of history, exhort one another. And do not presume on the grace of God. Point number one, heed the warning of history. We have at the start of our passage a long quotation from Psalm 95 there in verses 7 to 11. And this long quotation comes with the basic message. Heed the warning of history. Heed the warning of your history. Look at what happened to your forefathers, the preacher is saying here. Look at what happened to them and be warned by what happened to them. For the very same thing could happen to you. Psalm 95 reflects on the rebellion that took place at Kadesh in the wilderness that we read about earlier on in Numbers chapter 14. In that passage... Israel was on the verge of entering the promised land. They were on the verge of entering into God's rest, the land that he had promised to them. But then the spies, by and large, brought back a bad report. They said, the people there are too big for us. The people there are too strong for us. There is no way we are going to get this land. And they did not believe that the Lord would do what he had promised to do. They did not believe that the Lord was able to bring them into the land. They hardened their hearts against him in unbelief. They rebelled. They grumbled. Would that we could go back to Egypt, they even said. Therefore God, verse 10, was provoked, was angry, with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest the people were on the verge of entering the promised land entering God's rest but they did not believe God's promise and this act of unbelief wasn't just a one-off event notice the Lord said They always, they always go astray in their heart. Throughout their entire existence, they were grumbling, they were moaning, they were complaining, they were acting in defiant unbelief. Just read Exodus and Numbers. You see it time and time and time again. A spirit of defiant, settled unbelief marked that generation of God's people. And therefore, in his holy anger, In his holy, righteous wrath, 
God swore that none of them, none of them would enter the land. None, none would enjoy his rest. And the writer to the Hebrews is clearly drawing an analogy between the situation of Israel in the wilderness and the situation of the church to whom he is writing. What we see the preacher doing here is presenting Israel in the wilderness as what we might call a type, a picture of today's church. We might say that the church is on the verge of entering the promised land. God has promised you that he will bring you into glory. He is bringing many sons to glory. God has promised that he will take you to glory. He will bring you into the heavenly Canaan. That is his promise to you. But you will not enter the heavenly land if you do not believe God's promise. If you defiantly, stubbornly refuse to believe that God is able to bring you to glory despite all of the difficulties that you face in this wilderness, then you will not enter God's glory. You will forfeit his promise to you, just as your fathers once did. Several years ago, there was a documentary called The Nazis, A Warning from History. Maybe some of you saw that documentary. I was gripped by it. And this documentary charts the rise to power of the Nazis in 1930s Germany. And then it records the many, many evils that they perpetrated, not least against the Jews. It is a deeply, deeply harrowing documentary. And it's designed not simply to inform you about the Nazis, but perhaps even more so to warn you about the Nazis. The message of the documentary is very, very clear. It's this. Do not let this ever happen again. And that is the exact same message of Psalm 95, quoted here in verses 7 to 11. The preacher is saying, do not let this ever happen again. Do not repeat the mistakes of your fathers. Let what happened to them be a warning to you. And heed that warning. Don't just say, well, that was in the past. Heed what has happened in the past. Heed the warning of sacred history. Because if you harden your heart against the Lord as your forefathers did, then just like them, you will not enter heaven. You will go to hell. Number two, exhort one another. Exhort one another. The writer goes on to say in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Here we see the writer elaborating a little on what it means to have a hard heart. Here we see that he defines a hardened heart as an evil, 
unbelieving heart, a heart that commits, in other words, great evil by persistently refusing to believe God. And it's important to bear that in mind. He's not just talking about a sort of lack of faith. We all struggle with the lack of faith. None of us has perfect faith. What he's talking about here is persistent, um, ongoing, stubborn unbelief. And what he says here is that such a heart can tragically, tragically develop in those who are brothers, who in other words belong to the church, people like you and me, people who belong to the covenant community. He's writing to a church here. He's not writing about unbelievers. He's writing about professing Christians. And he is saying a hard heart can develop amongst you. You're not immune to spiritual sclerosis. And if you contract such a disease, then you may well fall away. Therefore, take care. Take care, just as you take care of your physical health. I assume you do. You eat the right food, you exercise, you try and have a good night's sleep. Well, how much more should you take care of your spiritual health? And what we see in these verses is that the primary and the most effective way that you take care of your spiritual health is by being in the church. Being with your spiritual brothers and sisters, gathering together and sitting under the preaching and the teaching of the word of God, participating in the sacraments and the prayers. And this is why the preacher goes on to say in verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Please just notice, it's an obvious point, but please notice how the prevention of your being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin is conditional upon your being in a church, in communion with other Christians. You cannot prevent the sin of a hard heart developing within you on your own. You can't. You're not strong enough. You can only prevent being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin in community with your brothers and sisters in a Christian fellowship like our one this morning. Exhort one another, encourage, edify, build up, teach, challenge, reprove, rebuke, warn. All of these different activities are included in this general exhortation to exhort. And all of these activities, all such exhortation takes place in the context of the church, in the context of a local fellowship of Christians. After all, how can you exhort one another if you've not got another to exhort? Indeed, how can another exhort you if you're not in the church? We need to be exhorting one another. 
And we need to be doing so every day. As long as it is called today. In other words, whilst we are in the wilderness, whilst we are on the verge of entering the promised land, right up until the return of Christ at the end of history, we need to be exhorting one another day by day by day, so that none of us, none of us, none of you, becomes hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and therefore none of you fails to enter the land. And of course we're doing this, we should be doing this every Sunday. This is certainly one key function of the preaching of the word and the gathering of the saints every Lord's Day. One key function is to engage in mutual exhortation. But we should of course be doing this during the week as well. We should be meeting up with one another. We should be studying the Bible with one another. We should be praying with one another. We should be sending text messages or whatever to one another. While we are in the wilderness of this world, we need to be exhorting one another every day so that we make it home. We need to hear exhortation, don't we? We need to have the courage and the love to give exhortation and we need to have the humility and the grace to receive exhortation. This is what we should be doing as a church. I I hope we are. Because if we're not, then we might not all make it. We might not all make it to God's promised rest. So let me say to you, brothers and sisters, please, please keep coming to church. You know, the worst thing that you could ever do, the worst thing a Christian could ever do is to cut himself or herself off from the church. That is fatal. That is fatal. A Christian who cuts himself off from the church is like a patient in a hospital switching off his life support machine. That's how serious it is. A Christian who ceases to come to church or who just comes every now and again when I've got the time That Christian is effectively committing spiritual suicide. Please do not, do not do that. Make coming to church every week your number one priority. It must be your number one priority. Otherwise you might fall away and end up in hell. I don't want that to happen to you. Surely you don't want that to happen to you, do you? Think of the eternal welfare of your soul and come to church. And please make use of every means of grace that is at your disposal. I know it's not always easy, but try to come along morning and evening to worship. Why only have one when you could have two? It'd be so much better for you. Try to come along to the midweek prayer meeting if you can. It's for your good. It will help you to grow. It will guard you against developing a hard heart and being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Be exhorting one another, brothers and sisters, every day, so long as it's called today. Please, do not fall away. I don't mean to sound unduly alarmist. I don't mean to panic you. I don't mean to fill you with anxiety. We do share in Christ, as verse 14 says. We do belong to Christ. We participate in Christ. However, 
We only do so if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We must endure. There'll be no good saying on the judgment day, well, 40 years ago I professed faith in you, Lord Jesus. I then drifted away. I didn't bother going to church and ended up living as a non-Christian. But 40 years ago I professed you. He will say, away from me. I never knew you. We need to endure. Our situation in this world is a situation of peril. Be sure of that. Yes, it's also a situation of promise. We have the promised hope held out to us of entering the promised land, of entering God's eternal Sabbath rest. But the situation we're in today is also a situation of deep, deep peril. Because here in the wilderness, our hearts can get hard. Here in the wilderness, we can fall away. Therefore, we must, we simply must be exhorting one another every day. The plain fact is, Christian, you need other Christians if you're going to stay a Christian. Point number three, do not presume on God's grace. Do not presume on God's grace. The preacher repeats his basic warning in verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. A good preacher will always repeat uh, the point that he wants to drive home to his people. And that's what this preacher does here. And then in a series of rhetorical questions, he reminds the uh, congregation of those who fell away in the wilderness. Look at verses 16 to 18. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying those who rebelled in the wilderness... Those who provoked the Lord for 40 years, those who disobeyed and hardened their hearts against God, were all those who had left Egypt under Moses. In other words, it was all those who had seen the miraculous power of God. All those who had been delivered, who had been set free from slavery in Egypt by God's mighty hand. All those who had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Our fathers were recipients of the riches of God's grace, and yet they were the very same people who refused to believe God's promise that he would bring them into the land. And so we see, verse 19, that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. They tried to enter. We saw that at the end of Numbers 14. But they did so presumptuously. And by then it was too late. By then it was too late. By then it had become impossible for them to enter the land because of their persistent unbelief. And God had sworn 
they shall not enter my rest. Friends, you have received the riches of God's grace. In fact, in many ways, you have received even more grace than your father's. You have been delivered by Christ from sin and death and hell. In Christ, you receive grace upon grace. But you must not presume upon such grace. You must not presume upon it. You mustn't say something like the following. Well, because I've been baptized. Or because I'm a member of the church. Or because I professed my faith at one time. Or because I serve diligently in the church. Or because I preach God's word every week. Then everything will be okay. Mustn't say that. Mustn't think that. Our fathers had been saved by God's mighty power from slavery in Egypt. And they, they were unable to enter Canaan. Because they did not believe God. You have been saved by God from sin, death and hell. Make sure you do not fail to enter God's glory. Brothers and sisters, today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Are you listening? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Perhaps you are. I hope you are. And perhaps some of you feel sorely rebuked by what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Perhaps some of you are even close to despair because the Holy Spirit has convicted you. Maybe you're sat there this morning full of a sense of conviction. You're convicted by the Spirit that you have hardened your heart, that you have grown cold and callous to the things of the Lord, that you are not the Christian you once were, that you've become complacent, that you come along to church when it suits you, but I prioritise other things because they're more important to me, frankly. And maybe you're worrying, if you are convicted, that you might not enter God's promised rest because of the unbelief you see in your heart. If that is you, don't despair. In fact, be grateful. Be grateful that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Be grateful that the Holy Spirit is convicting you for such a spirit-produced conviction is the first step on the road to a softening and a warming and a tenderizing of your heart. And what's the second step? Where should you go next? You should go to Jesus. You should go to Jesus, your faithful and merciful high priest. For Jesus will forgive you for your unbelief. He will pardon you for your hardness of heart. He will show grace to you because of your disobedience. And he will help you to keep going and not to fall away. Jesus, your merciful and faithful high priest, will melt your hard heart with his love and grace and compassion. Today the Holy Spirit is saying to you, do not harden your hearts. 
heed the warning of history, exhort one another, do not presume on God's grace, but more than anything else, the Holy Spirit is saying this to you, brothers and sisters. He's saying, go to Jesus. Consider Jesus, your merciful and faithful high priest. His heart is never, never hard towards you. However hard your heart has become, Jesus' heart is always soft, warm and tender towards you, his people. You are his precious brothers and sisters. He loves you. He gave his life for you. Go to Jesus. Cast yourself upon him. And by his grace, you will endure to the end. Amen.